0: Whoa!
1: It is often asked of me when someone finds out that I'm a Byzantine Catholic priest. In other words, I'm a priest of the Eastern lung of the church. It's often asked of me by Latin Rite Catholics if we have, for example, rosary, if we have Eucharistic adoration, if we have benediction, Stations of the Cross, May crowning, For those of you who are Latin Rite, you probably recognize, obviously, these are devotions that are very much a part of the Latin Rite church, the Latin Rite spirituality. And they often ask that question in a way that is, well, first of all, it's like, can be very, just to be very curious, and sometimes it's asked as though they're saying, well, do you have this and why don't you? As though it's presumed that all rites of the church have the same services, or that the standard would be the Latin rite. Now, one of the reasons that happens is something that's, well, it's almost like by default, because the Latin rite is by far, by far, the largest expression of the Catholic faith in the world, so much so that very many Latin rite Catholics aren't even aware of the Eastern Catholic churches. So, it's understandable how without that awareness, they might see, in a sense by default, that the Latin Rite devotions would be the standard, that if you call yourself Catholic, that you would also have these same devotions, these same practices. As I mentioned, sometimes the question is asked in a very objective way, just out of curiosity. Other times it's asked in a way where it's almost like a like a little confused, like the Eastern churches don't have this or that, that is in the Latin Rite Church. To answer that question is to really strike at the very heart of this whole question of the diversity in the church and what the real diversity is. And This is part of what we present in this program, Light of the East. We present largely the riches of the Eastern churches, but always in light of our complement in the West, the Latin Rite Church. The idea behind it all is this, and the answer to people's questions to me is this. We arrive at the same point. We all arrive at the same point. We have the same basic belief, but we arrive at that through different ways. It's something like, well, as an analogy, something like being human. A man is human. A woman is human. But they experience or come at that same universal humanness through their respective ways as man and as woman, both equal and both fully human. Same thing with the rites of the church. We're Catholic, we have the same pope, same basic belief, but there are nuances to those beliefs based on how they're understood, in other words, their expression, their emphasis, the particular angle that each one comes at for a particular theological position, or dogma or doctrine. It's a matter of emphasis and expression, not a matter of a radically different belief. And sometimes when we talk about unity in the church, we have ecumenical discussions. Sometimes what happens is it seems as though we're talking like we're so radically different. And I have to take issue with that. We are not so radically different East and West. We arrive at the same point. We believe the same thing. It's just that our respective emphasis, our respective perspectives and expressions of those perspectives is what is different. And sometimes it seems very different, or the emphasis is, seems to be very different to the point of where, well, gee, you believe differently than we do. No, it's not really true. We might see it differently. But we don't believe it differently. Another part of the answer to the question is this is that we have in Eastern churches many devotions that are not in the West and vice versa. But we have those that are similar. East and West have similar things, even though they may not be exactly the same. Let's take, for example, the Eucharist, the source and summit of our existence. East and West, let's face it, that's where it all begins and ends. The Eucharist is the hub of the wheel, everything most in and out of there. In the Latin Rite Church, a very beautiful and now, very fortunately, very common practice, is Eucharistic adoration. Also, benediction has become more common in recent years as well. There's been a kind of a rediscovery of these things in the Western lung of the church, in particular, Eucharistic adoration. And oftentimes we'll be asked in the Eastern churches, do you have Eucharistic adoration, or can I come to your church and spend time in Eucharistic adoration? And the answer would be, well, you can come to our church and spend time, and you would indeed be in the presence of the Eucharist, but would not be in the same way as you're familiar with when you say Eucharistic adoration relative to the Western church. What I mean by that is this, that in Eastern churches, there is a tabernacle. The tabernacle is always on the altar, and the altar, of course, is in the sanctuary. The sanctuary is set apart by an icon screen, and the Eucharist is always in present in the tabernacle, which is always present on the altar, the main altar, the altar of sacrifice. And this is in Eastern churches. So, when you come to an Eastern church, yes, you are going to be in the presence of the Eucharist. You can have Eucharistic adoration, but not in the exact way that you might have it in the Latin Rite, where they actually exposed the precious body of Christ in the form of the host in a monstrance, where you can actually see it. The body of Christ is indeed present in an Eastern church always, but not exposed in the same way it would be in the Latin Rite church. Now, the differences there also point to the differences of the, the soul, of the, the perspective East Eastern West. Once again, it's that emphasis The Western church, the genius of the Western church, is its ability to, and I'm going to use a word which I don't mean in a negative way. Sometimes it can be used negative, sometimes positive. I'm going to use the word compartmentalize. In other words, the West is able to focus on this as opposed to that, this as opposed to that, etc. It also is part of their genius for organization and for order, the Latin Rite Church is known for its incredible sense of order and of hierarchy, of organization, although sometimes things can seem chaotic in the day-to-day life of the church or parish. (laughs) But in terms of its charism, the Western lung of the church, its charism is that of organization of compartmentalization, where there's a, a kind of a strong singular focus on something. So, for example, when you're going to reverence the Eucharist or be in the presence of the Eucharist, you're going to have it in a way that's going to be very singular, very compartmentalized, very compartmentalized. In other words, you're going to actually take it from the tabernacle, place it in a monstrance, have it in front of people, and people look at it. In other words, it's very much present there as a, a single focus. So you see, it's very, in a sense, compartmentalized. And Again, that's not a negative at all. It's part of the genius of the West. Now, the East would be, the word I would use in contrast to compartmentalize, would be diffusive. It's a little more diffusive. In other words, the Eucharist is in the church at all times, in the tabernacle, and therefore the presence of Christ is there. So if you're sitting in a Byzantine church, for instance, or standing in it, You definitely are in the presence of the Eucharist, the body of Christ, the real presence of Christ. If you stay there in meditation or prayer, then, yeah, in a sense, you're having a certain, perhaps you can call it, Eucharistic adoration, but not in the same way as in the West. One is more compartmentalized, more single focused, one is more diffusive. Now, as always in this program, we emphasize that. This is part of the beauty of the church, that inherent beauty of complementarity. The East could use and avails itself, benefits from, that genius of the West of organization. And in fact, yes, of some aspect of compartmentalization. The East needs that because neither one, just like man and woman, neither one is complete in themselves. Go back to Genesis. Remember, God said of Adam, He did not have a suitable partner until God made Eve. God said, I will make him a suitable partner. So Adam did not really fully understand himself, as St. John Paul II talks about in his Theology of the Body. He did not understand himself fully until the advent of womanhood and vice versa. Same thing with the church. Think of it as complementarity. The West is not sufficient just by itself. The East is not sufficient just by itself, and this is why we must work towards unity. We must work towards that greater understanding and interaction between each other because we benefit from each other's riches. That's the beauty of the church, and that's what this program is dedicated to. But first, we have to understand those riches, and we have to understand them in their complementary ways, in other words, in their their characteristic charisms. Now, sometimes, a Latin Rite person may say to me, well, do you in the Eastern Church, do you really reverence the Eucharist? Because the Latin Rite obviously has devotions, practices that show a great reverence for the Eucharist. When that's not seen in the Eastern Churches, a Latin Rite Catholic might ask, well, do you have the same reverence? My answer would be, yes, of course, but in a again, in a different way. For example, the fact that we keep the Eucharist in the tabernacle on the altar and behind a screen, and that design goes all the way back to the Old Testament temple, separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the church. The fact that we have that, that protection, that that preservation, that sense of not anything or anybody can approach the Eucharist at any time, is the Eastern way of honoring or reverencing the Eucharist. Yes, and we bow before it, as in Latin rite they might genuflect, we do incense it, several times, especially during the liturgy, we don't have benediction per se. We have like a little snatch of it in the liturgy when we incense the Eucharist, when it's on the altar. But we also have it in the form of the presanctified liturgy. The presanctified liturgy, which is practiced pretty much exclusively during the season of Lent, the great fast in many Eastern churches, that is probably the closest the Eastern church comes to what the Latin Rite might know as benediction. It's a lot of reverence, a lot of bowing, a lot of genuflecting, even prostrating, taking the Eucharist in procession and incensing it. Now that should sound familiar to many of you who are Latin right, but yet it's different. We're going to talk more about the complementarity and the differences in the expressions of the Eastern and Western lungs of the Church when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the
0: East. Save, 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 The dates for Prairie Fest, Friday through Sunday, August 9th through the 11th at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. More info at byzantinecatholic.com. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East.
1: Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We're talking about the complementarity of the two lungs of the church, East and West, how we arrive at the same place, but through different devotions, different practices. And it's important that we see in each other not a deficit. For example, if the Eastern churches have a custom, a ritual, a liturgical service that it's not found exactly the same way in the West, we wouldn't say to the West, oh, well, you're missing something or vice versa we all come to the same point, but we arrive at it from different perspectives. That, that's the key. That's what makes a difference. And before we go any further, just want to remind you and once again invite you to really consider seriously doing something for world peace, the best thing we can do. Prayer, but prayer that is amplified, deepened by pilgrimage. I'm a spiritual rector for a pilgrimage that is going to be Thursday to Thursday, October 26th through November 2nd of this year, October 26th through November 2nd. We're going to go to Fatima. We're going to spend a lot of time at the Byzantine chapel there so we can breathe with both lungs even in our pilgrimage. It's a pilgrimage and retreat. So it's a very, very holy endeavor. And as I mentioned, We're going on this retreat and pilgrimage as a way of deepening and amplifying our prayer for peace. The messages from the mother of God at the apparitions in 1917 in Fatima are just as urgent, maybe even more so, and relevant to us today. We're going to learn about that. And we're going to come to honor that and to pray that what she said will come true, that the world will... We'll turn to her in prayer and turn to her son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and live his life. Imitate him. Now, to find out about this trip and to register for it, the email is horizons at parma.org. That's horizons@parma.org. And in the subject line, put the name Laura. Laura's organizing this retreat. I'm the spiritual director for it. So that's horizons at Parma.org. And again, Thursday to Thursday, October 26th through November 2nd of this year. We were mentioning that the Eucharist is a great example, the source and summit of our existence, East and West, but it's a great example of how we arrive at the same place, but we come at it from different directions. And that should never be seen as a deficit. Sometimes it is. But It should be seen really as a treasure, as a great gift, just as man should see woman as gift and vice versa, just as Adam saw woman as gift. When God created Eve in the Bible, you notice, and again, it's always in the details, it says that he brought the woman to him. In other words, he gave her. What do you do when you bring something to somebody? You bring or you give. That implies gift. That implies something good. So, we are a gift to each other, but we have to always understand that. And when something is different in our rite than it is in the other rites, it doesn't mean that that other rite has a deficit or something's missing. They have their own expressions. To finish up on Eucharist, another way that the East reverences the Eucharist is through veils, through covering. We cover the chalice. We cover it with incense, you know, with holy smoke. (laughs) We're known for our incense. We keep it behind a screen. We only unveil it or reveal it at its most critical moment, and that is when people are receiving the Eucharist. We don't usually put it out there by itself to be seen. We do carry it in procession at times. But largely, it is something that is distributed, is covered and veiled because of its sanctity, and then it is distributed. And furthermore, in the Eastern churches, and some of them, such as the Orthodox churches, are very strict about who can receive Eucharist. In the Orthodox churches, they generally will not give Holy Communion to anyone who is not of the Orthodox faith. And sometimes they'll even ask you, are you Orthodox if you present yourself for Eucharist at one of their liturgies? And generally, they will not give it to you unless you are Orthodox. And the reason for that, again, is one of the aspects or ways that the Eastern Church reverences the Eucharist. In other words, they are very, very particular about to whom it is given. You have to be in communion with that aspect of the body of Christ, that Orthodox Church. In the West, They're a little more open. The West will give Holy Communion to an Orthodox Christian if they attend a Roman Catholic Mass, but it's not the same in the Orthodox Church. It doesn't work vice versa for the most part. It is different ways of arriving at the same point, and that point is the holiness, the reverence, the centrality of the Eucharist, the real presence of the body of Christ. Another area that we can look at is the area of the Blessed Mother. Now, in the Latin Rite Church, there are devotions such as May crownings. There are prayers and hymns to the Mother of God. We call her Mother of God in the Eastern Churches. That's our preferred title for her. We do have other titles as well, just as they do in the Latin Rite Church. But we prefer the title Mother of God or Theotokos, People ask, do we have the rosary in Eastern churches? That's an interesting question, because the rosary, well, it actually has a very Eastern flavor to it. It has a repetition, which the East loves. It's beaded. It's a thing that uses beads, much like the Chalky, the Jesus prayer, which is very ancient in the Eastern churches. And it makes us mindful of mysteries. We meditate upon mysteries in the rosary. So it's interesting that the rosary has a very Eastern flavor to it. It is not per se a devotion, and in particular, it's not a public devotion in the Eastern churches. However, sometimes it is said publicly, and it is often said individually. In other words, people in the Eastern churches do have a devotion to the rosary. And that's wonderful. That's, that's great. That's fine. It's just that it's not per se an Eastern devotion and generally not a public one, such as some other liturgical service. But we do have things that are like a rosary, such as an Akathis service or the paraklesis service, which is a service that we did a few weeks ago prior to the Feast of the Dormition, the Assumption of the Mother of God. That was a prayer where we cry out for the intercession, the help of the Blessed Mother. The Akathis is one that honors her It generally came out of the services around the time of the Feast of the Annunciation. And the Akathist can be prayed anytime, but it also is prayed especially during one of the Saturdays during Lent, called Akathist Saturday, because that usually falls around the time of the Annunciation. And there again, we have a repeated theme, but we also have something else in that service that's characteristic of the Eastern way of prayer, especially liturgical prayer, and that is dogmatic hymns. For example, one of the main prayers in Eastern churches to the Mother of God says this, It is truly proper to glorify you who have borne God, the ever-blessed, immaculate, and mother of our God, more honorable than the cherubim, incomparably more glorious than the seraphim, who a virgin gave birth to God the Word. You truly, the Theotokos, we magnify. Now, that is a central prayer. That's the, the words of it, but it is done as a chant, especially in the liturgy of the church, and it comes at a very high point of the liturgy. And you notice that the words were theological. They were basically a theological expose of who the Virgin Mary is, emphasizing her as God-bearer or the mother of God. In other words, the person who was in her womb was Jesus, yes, a human being, fully human, perfectly human but also he was God. That's why they call her Godbearer or Theotokos. By her very name, her very title that we give her, our favorite title, it's a theological statement. So this is characteristic of the Eastern churches, this dogmatic hymnody that is very much a part of a liturgical prayer. So the Akathist, the Prakas service, would be, in a sense, a counterpart to the rosary or the May crowning or the other devotions of the Latin rite. So again, it's honoring the mother of God East and West does equally, but in their own respective ways. We also do so through the great reverence we have for the many forms of icons of the Mother of God. We have different names for her, for these icons of her. And her place is always very prominent in iconography. She is painted right above the altar in the sanctuary, in a most prominent place. And that icon is called platitera, which means more spacious than the heavens. She's also on the icon screen itself, and many, many churches in Eastern Christianity are named after her. They're under her patronage in one way or the other, either just directly her name, Mother of God, or it is an event in her life. For instance, my parish is called the Annunciation. And there's another interesting comparison. In the Eastern churches, the emphasis of the Annunciation is on Mary's role, what happened to Mary. In the West, there's a little more emphasis on that same event, on Christ being conceived. That's where the incarnation really begins. So that's another fascinating difference between East and West, arriving at the same point, the same mystery of the incarnation, of the Annunciation, yet two complementary emphasis, both valid, both needed to get the full sense of that event. There are a number of other comparisons that we can make, and we will continue to do so in our program here. But hopefully, we've communicated the message that we never look at the different expressions of the churches, East and West, as one not having what the other one does, and therefore there's a deficit, or they should have this. Rather, we realize, and keep in mind always, that we both arrive at the same point, the same basic belief, but we do so in very beautiful, ingenious, time-honored, venerable, complimentary ways. Thank you for listening. I'm
0: Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. catholic radio is it's training for the troops it's a inter aural of the ear boot camp the folks who listen who grow in their faith grow in charity grow in all the virtues they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just
1: themselves catholic radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith
0: dr ray garendy thinks catholic radio is important
1: so should you thank you for listening